Hello and welcome to the Horton Hangout. I'm Michael Bentley and we've got Laura Horton as well with us. Hello Laura, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Hello everybody, thank you for joining us again today. Uh, yet again, we've got some wonderful questions from you. We've got some quite meaty questions and uh, Michael is going to be reading those out today and this will also be uploaded as a podcast once again for you to enjoy. Yes, we have had some meaty questions in. You're right, Laura. So I've got them here. Um, right, the first one, are you ready? If associates, hygienists, don't want to engage, how do you avoid a disciplinary problem or ill feeling? Yeah, so um, I did have a big smile when this question came through because I think straight away uh, what's, what's happening here is you're thinking of the worst case scenario of, ah, oh, we've got to have fallouts we've got to have disciplinary um, and really you're looking at the worst case scenario here and I think you've perhaps got to be a little bit more positive I think one of the key problems here um, is that your team and by team I do mean your dentist and hygienist as well they do not understand necessarily the vision of where you're going and what you're trying to do you might not even have a vision you might not even know yourself so whatever the situation may be, first of all, do you know where you're going? Do you know what you're planning to do? And then you need to communicate that effectively to your team. There's an amazing book by Jim Collins. I'm sure you've all heard of it. Good to great. Um, and he talks about getting the right team members in the right, on the bus and in the right seats before you can go anywhere. But often uh, people are, are on a bus and they don't even know where they're going. And that's usually the case. And this is what it sounds like is happening here in the practice. So before you think of the worst case scenario, look at the communication that you've put across. Now, if you are in a situation where you have communicated your vision, people know what you want and they're not doing it, then you've got to be strong and you've got to face that head on. You do have to deal with that because if you bury your head in the sand, the rest of your team are really going to lose respect for you as a leader in the practice. So just to recap, what's your vision? Have you communicated it? If you haven't got one, you need one. And if you have communicated, you need to face this head on and have an open conversation about where you're going, what the understanding is of that and why is there still a problem and then go from there. At the end of the day, sometimes things just don't work out. Don't feel bad about that. Let's just all be happy and move on if people aren't working in the right place. Yeah, I think that's uh, fantastic advice. I would say also from an HR point of view, because I love a little bit of HR, um, that it's really important that you engage with the associates and the hygienists on a day by day and at least by a weekly basis. So don't ignore them. I think a lot of practices uh, ignore the associates and they ignore the hygienists because they are, you know, seeing patients or doing appointments all day. And you only seem to get an opinion about an associate or a hygienist from a dental nurse. Um, that's had a gossip with another dental nurse and although feedback from dental nurses is fantastic and definitely worth listening to however you do need to have a direct communication with the hygienist with the associates that are within your practice that's really important so I definitely recommend at least 15 minutes every single week to ask 
you know, how is the last week been for you? How can we support you? And these are the goals for our practice for the next week. And the other thing I would say is, is that making sure that people are not on what I call a default setting, um, especially hygienists. They normally work in a number of practices um, and they tend to come in with what, what is a default setting, which is this setting works in every practice I work in. Um, and therefore, but is that the setting that you want for your practice? So you have to be very clear about what you've just said, Laura, which is about making sure they understand your vision and your goals for the practice so they can get on board the bus. Um, because if they don't understand where you want to go, they will just fall into a default setting. Um, so it's very, very uh, clear that you've got to communicate. And um, most of the issue uh, with associates is down to communication. And the more uh, they feel involved in the business, the better off it will be for you. And also when you're talking about, you know, um, financial investment in the practice, using treatment coordinators, using upskilled nurses, um, the value of the front desk, the marketing campaigns that you've got coming uh, through as well. All of those need to be discussed with the associates so they understand what's going on in the practice and what you're pushing through um, so they understand where their role is within that. And uh, when you talk about conversion of patients and all those kind of things, you know, that's really, that's really key to that as well. Um, so hopefully uh, that's a good start of a 10. Right, then our next question is a recent blog post about offers. We've done a recent blog post, I think, about offers, which we have. Um, why are offers a bad thing? Go on, Laura. Tell us why they're a bad thing. Really, um, what I try to say all the time is that you don't want to become a Laura Ashley or a DFS, where people are only shopping with you when you've got an offer on. And the other thing is you don't want people who then become shoppers. What you want to be doing with your marketing and your branding is getting the message out there that you are the people to go for, to for a particular treatment. That's all you need to do. Um, people who market you know, with offers aren't really marketing in the best way. I would only ever recommend that you do an offer if you've got a new treatment that you're implementing into the practice so you want to get some cases through and get on board with that. That's a completely different thing. But Every you know month or quarter or you know every now and then trying to scratch your head and think of oh what what should we do you know what should we put an offer on you know offers isn't marketing okay marketing there is so much more into building a campaign and it really frightens me when practices go oh practice down the road doing that much off whitening we'll copy them and you end up actually giving your profit away so you're doing everything for free so any offers. First of all, must be financially thought through. You still need to have a profit margin in them. But it just gives the wrong impression of your practice. And, you know, Mike and I have seen many times we've looked at practices data, and there was one practice in particular. Um, we said, we can't understand why you do so many, so much facial aesthetics in March and nothing throughout the rest of the year. Ah, uh, we run an offer every March. So in this practice, that was the only time they did facial aesthetics. People were waiting for the offers, and we actively encouraged them to stop the offer. People were ringing up, oh, when's your offer? We're not doing it. And now they've got a regular footfall of people coming through for facial aesthetics, which is really nice, because they're not known as that. If you look at DFS, I mean, they've still got their winter sale on. It's spring now. Easter's coming. They're going to have another sale, aren't they? You know, then we've got another two bank holidays. They're constant in sale mode. Laura Ashley, people only shop there when there's a sale on. It's exactly the same. There's only ever a sale on. So people are shopping with you because you're priced. And dentistry is not about price. Dentistry is about health. And 
guys, you dentists, you have so much more to offer than being the cheapest and trying to do offers via salesman. You're not DFS, you're not Laura Ashley, you're not a furniture shop. This is healthcare that we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's uh, great advice. And I think, you know, all I would add to that really is that, <clears throat> sorry, is that, you know, it is about the experience that you offer. And that's so important. And it's not about, you know, how cheap that you actually are. I've watched a lot of practices delivering, you know, a lot of Invisalign in practice, for an example. And, um, you know, you actually find that actually, as you said, that, you know, there's zero profit in it. And the reason for that is because they've actually put uh, the, the whitening uh, inside that as well. They've given a £500 discount or a £1,000 discount at the same time. And that's massive. Mike, we've just um, lost, you lost you there. Me? I don't know your, why you're looking. Yeah, I've got your audio, but not your face. Your face is gone. Oh, well, you'll have to get on with the audio then. I don't know what's happening with the face. Um, <laughs> perhaps you don't want to see my face today. I, I, I'm used to radio now, darling. I'm quite happy on radio. Uh, <laughs> I am. And a black screen when you're talking. That's not a black screen is all I'm used to. So, yeah, for me, it's really important that um, you don't, you, you know, you don't uh, start to give away your product. And this happens with dentures as well. You know, uh, patients, you know, pra practice doing lots of denture work and actually making no money from it because it's not been financially, um, you know, planned properly to incorporate all of the appointments that are necessary to provide a fantastic denture experience. Oh, you've now put a lovely hat on. I'll try to put it on. <laughs> it looks, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really nice, actually. It was like a spring hat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, celebrating all, all, the, all the springness that's uh, around as well. Um, so it really is your responsibility from a practice point of view to make sure that you are showcasing what you do. And one of the other things that I've been speaking about a lot in lectures is actually you've got to remember that your products are the same as every practice everywhere and we've worked in Europe we work extensively in Ireland and all across the UK and you know it's the same you're all doing fillings you're all doing examinations you're all doing extractions you're all doing RCTs and crowns and all those kind of things so actually what you should be showcasing is your experience and your unique selling points that why would I want to have the filling or the examination or the extraction done by your, you and your practice and that's the bit that you need to be showcasing not actually well, we're the cheapest and that's why you should come to us. Right then, I was waiting for you, but we've got another question. If I'm just on audio, it's wonderful for me. Um, so the next one is... I'll come back on any minute. So oh, no, and I'll be like, oh, no, I've, I've stripped. No, I haven't. Um, so dealing with negative uh, change, averse to staff, employment law does not let you nuke them. Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, so dealing with negative staff the first thing that i would definitely recommend is is that hr is a positive experience in practice we see hr as a very negative tool um, and actually for me it isn't it should be a very proactive um really positive part of your practice and what you what practices do not understand anymore i think or they've lost sight of maybe is that actually hr does take a lot of time you do have to be uh, really good at HR to make a difference in practice and you do have to listen and you do have to problem solve on a daily basis because staff 
patients go through problems and that will have an effect on the practice. So you do have to deal with the staff members, whoever they may be. They might be a dental nurse, they might be somebody on reception, it could be a dentist, but you do have to put yourself in a place to actually manage these people on a day-by-day -day basis. The one thing that I would say that is very clear is that you do have to have systems in practice. And when people are making things up on a day-by-day -day basis, there are a certain amount of people that are able to do that. And that's fine. However, if those people leave the practice or they have time off to go on holiday or they have a time off because they're unwell or one of their family members is unwell, they take all of that knowledge out of the practice and you're left with what, what, what is that? Because Emma does that or Laura does that. And I don't know what I don't know what what she does or when that gets sent or how this happens or how does that happen? And that's just gone off and the emails have gone off and the text message has gone off and nobody understands how to actually rectify any problems that are in practices. So every single thing in your practice does need systemizing. And I do fully understand Laura and I are both from practice. We've had years of experience in practice, probably about 40 years between us. We know how difficult it is to run a practice and we're very sympathetic um, to the concerns that you have. And again, it's another time marker this is, but actually investing time in systems is the best thing that you can do. And you know, you need to put a system in for absolutely everything. We can help you with that, but you know, down to every telephone call, how you post something, what happens when the lab work comes in, how you set up for each um, procedure in, uh, in the surgery. So for a root canal therapy, for example, an implant, whatever it may be, you've got to have dedicated systems. Now you might not be aware that you're actually working in systems currently. And I just say to you, for most of you, you are. You might be under the RQIA, you might be under the CQC already, and therefore you're working with hundreds of systems already you just don't know that you are and all you've got to do is embrace all the clinical systems that you're already working in and make them your own and make sure that you've got a book for those but also all the verbal systems or the patient experience systems need to have equal attention uh, put into and that's the two things that you need to do now you can use videos um, to actually do that or what we're doing today audio audio is absolutely brilliant people listen um, and they can listen to audio and actually Actually, that comes across so much better. I'm an audio person. I do not like reading books, unlike Laura, who's like a bookaholic, a bookworm. You'll read every night. I know that you do. I would rather listen to 30 minutes of an audio. So actually, you've got to understand that pictures, videos, audio, actually to a lot of your uh, team members will speak volumes. And you don't be so narrow to think that actually a written document, as complicated as possible, is going to get uh, that person to follow the system that you want to. It needs to have pictures. It needs to have screenshots. Um, it needs to be somebody that somebody can follow. Laura and I, as GDC people, should be able to come in your practice and follow your systems. We should be able to come into a surgery and do a root canal treatment in every practice tomorrow because the system's very clear what, what, what we have to get out for you and what you're using. It's not that we're not experienced to do root canal. So hopefully um, that answers that, that, that question. Yeah, so just to sort of add in um, there, um, with these systems that you have in place, what you'll find is the negative team members aren't going to follow them. Um, because they are, um, well, they want to do things their own way. So that's one way to start getting rid of people. But you've got, oh, Michael, you're back. You've got. I know. I turned my camera off and on, and uh, it worked. 
Um, you have got to have the systems in place, you've got to have the training, you've got to have, have people sign off on them, like Michael's just described, that's the first stage. Once you've got that in place, when people aren't following systems, then you're in a much stronger place to be able to move um, forward uh, with poor performance capability and getting people out of practice. But we're running short on time, so we'll just end that one there. Okay, our next question is, I'm loving the fact that you're doing sound effects. Okay, so how can dentists increase conversion rates without being too salesy? salesy? Uh, Laura, good question for you. Um, so um, I spend a lot of time working with dentists on their um, examination procedures and the way that they present treatment. And actually, it's a huge passion of mine. And to um, be a salesperson, and I, I wouldn't want any dentist that I was working with to become a salesperson. Um, I know a lot of people do focus on, um, you know, how to handle objections from patients and that type of thing, um, which is great. <coughs> it's wonderful to have that that knowledge, you know, and, and those verbal skills, without a doubt. But let's face it, many people don't necessarily have the gift of the gab. Um, so what, what I like to do is work on a process with dentists where you build value into your examination. I think that's what you really need to address first of all. You want to increase your conversion rate. You don't want to become a salesperson. Have a look at your examination experience. How much do you enjoy it? How much does your nurse enjoy it? How much passion do you put across to your patients? And you need to look at your routine one and your new patient assessment as well. And really put a bit of wow and a bit of jazz uh, back into those appointments. You know, if it's really mundane and boring for you, likelihood it is for the patient. And so it's not necessarily when um, you present treatment, if, if they're saying no, well, they need to think about it. It's not necessarily that you need to go through a massive objection handling process. Most of the time, the fact is that you haven't built enough value in yourself as a clinician. You haven't showcased your clinical abilities. And they don't see the value in the practice of what you've offered so far. And that's why they're thinking, do you know, that appointment might have just cost me £80, but this practice isn't for me, so I'm not going to be going ahead. So, uh, yes, I do like to think about things a different way, but I know this is the reality in practice, um, and I know this is what works. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with dentists on their exams and the way they present treatment, but the first place to start is always your exams. So have a little evaluation on that, first of all, and um, speak to your nurse, see what you can do. Well, that's a great answer. I'm not going to add anything to that because I fully agree, as always. Okay, so what is your number one tip for achieving financial success in practice? Ooh, one tip, Michael. Ooh, okay, my one tip then is you need to have a real-time trading account so that you understand the income that's coming in today and the expenses that you've got today. Do you want me to expand on that or should we keep it like that? Yeah. I, I, what I find with practice is that people are looking at the accountant figures that are out of date, sometimes between six months and a year. So you're operating, looking at your practice um, in not in the right time frame. You need to be looking at it from today. So at the end of March, you should know exactly how much income the practice has brought into for you and all the expenses associated uh, in March. And from that, you can start to get a picture of how your business works in one month. And then you get a picture of that for all of the other months. And then we can start to build um, what happens moving forward. I'm all about managing profit, not gross turnover. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, okay, that's okay. Right, uh, another question we've got is our team always gather at the front desk when they have a moment and it looks awful to patients, but I'm banging my head against the wall saying about this. Oh my goodness, it's one of my pet hates, I reckon this is. Gaggles at the desk. Um, can't stand it. I mean, you're absolutely right. Really uncomfortable for patients. Do you know what? It's, it happens twice. It happens when business owners come down the stairs. There's a scatter. It happens when practice managers do it, and it happens when patients do it, and it's absolutely terrible. And I want you to think about an analogy, which um, Laura and I have discussed before, which is you go into a shop. It's normally a clothes-related shop, and you walk in, and um, oh, actually Miranda's done this on her tour, where you walk in, and you do that, oh, I'm just browsing, I'm just browsing, and you just sort of like do that meander where you actually walk around the whole shop. You're not interested. You know you're not going to look at absolutely anything, and you do the meander around you go ooh, 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 and you get out of the shop and it's the most awkward thing uh, that you know that you've gone through and it's because you were greeted by a wall of people going you know jumping on you immediately and that's exactly what the reception desk feels like to a patient when there's a gaggle and there's a wall there and that's something you have to think about if it's you coming into the practice for the first time how would you feel with five people watching you because it's very very uncomfortable um, for a patient what I would also say is, is that cultures are one of the biggest things that I'm talking to with practices at the moment. It's all about the little things, you know, and cultures are so important. Culture is all about, you know, people actually putting on their slippers, putting on their dressing gown. They're so comfortable in practice that they're actually just slumping on the counter or having a chat with their friends about, you know, what was Big Brother like yesterday or whatever it may be. And actually, that culture is so ingrained that you don't even know that you're doing it. And be, when new people join, they observe this culture that's being put in practice and they copy because that's what we do. We naturally copy other people. I'm sure I'm, Laura and I are morphing into each other, um, slowly but surely, um, because we copy each other's behaviours, you know, and, um, you know, it's really important that you have a think about that. And cultures go, can go across everything, like being disturbed in a surgery. You know, if you've got that as a culture, every single team member will be disturbing you through an appointment. And I've observed, and I know Laura has as well, that, you know, you sit and observe a dentist maybe doing a new patient consultation and their room has been cake crashed five or six times by different people because the culture is you can walk in and out of the surgery whenever you like to and that's just another example so culture setting is really important and for the desk I would say if there is no seat to put your bum on you aren't there that's it so there's only one seat there's only one bum if there's two seats there's two bums and that's it yeah and I think you know it's it is horrendous for patients you know existing patients and new patients but it's even worse when you're on the desk and you have to remember that in practice your team members are the type of people who are very caring, very lovely, they don't want to upset others and I bet you they all hate it because they're actually really busy just because you've got a gap they haven't they've still got lots of other lists of patients to deal with plus everything else going on so it's actually awful for that person working on the front desk and it's a big complaint that we hear when we're talking to team members in practices you know they we they need us to address it and uh, because they're not comfortable they don't want to cause problems but the culture policy is an absolutely essential piece uh, of documentation that you have to have in your practice just to iron out all these little niggly things that one day just turn to a huge explosion and people start looking for other jobs. You don't want that. No, you don't. Um, 
I think uh, I've come to the end of my list of questions. So is there anything we want to, you know, have a chat about and yeah. things that we, we're observing in practice, things that, that, that are happening right now? Yeah, I think also there was a question that we sent through about systems. How do you um, ingrain systems into practice? And um, I think you, you've answered that within the HR question. So to the person who sent that in, thank you. Uh, we hope you see it has that that has been answered. Um, I think one of the the key things in practice really is um, that I'm finding is that practices really want to be offering an outstanding experience within their practice, yet um, do not have the team that are able to do that. And that's not through training; that's through the number of team members. And so I think one of the things I I seem to be stressing quite a lot lately is that if you want to provide a fantastic experience there's a couple of things you need to do and you need to be overstaffed because providing a five-star experience takes a hell of a lot of time I know I've done it and it's exhausting so you need to have the right staff and I think the other thing is really to make sure your marketing is correct and your brand message is right so you are attracting the patients that you want that are going to want that experience as well um, because it's no good, you know, attracting, I've got a blog post going out later on today, which would be um, quite funny, about greedy marketing. There's no point being a greedy marketeer um, and you're getting the wrong patients in for this experience. And I think likewise, if patients leave you um, to go perhaps to an NHS practice or somewhere that does medical card, for example, then don't worry about that because they're not the right patient for you in the first place. So I think these are conversations that keep coming up a lot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing this as well. And I think the other thing that I would stress here is it's really important that you match your costs, you know, what it costs you to run this experience against the fees. And actually, I find a lot of practices are trying to balance the books by actually delivering an, a five-star experience alongside prices that are competitive with other people that are not offering a five-star experience. So actually increasing your experience level is going to increase the cost of treatment. There are a group of patients that will pay for the experience because I go back to we all sell the same product. So yes. actually it's only experience that makes you different. So you cannot be the practice for everybody. It's just yeah. not possible. And, you know, you're absolutely right. There'll be people that maybe want to be part of your practice and are actually giving you all the positive signs to say, I want to be at your practice. However, money is their objection. And actually, it doesn't matter if you've got you know, a 20% saving for membership um, combined with six months, 12 months interest-free finance, that, will be, that won't be enough for that patient because they can't afford to be at your practice anyway. However, I would also say that everybody's got disposable income. It's the person's choice about what they use that for. And you've just got to make sure that as long as you know you're presenting the experience that you want and you can consistently deliver that on a day-by-day -day basis and even hour-by-hour -hour basis, you know, and it's really entrenched that, that that experience is happening, then you need to make sure that, you know, the money, you know, the cost of that treatment actually does cover the cost of that experience that you deliver hour by hour. There's no point doing a bit of five star when you've got the right staffing levels and the rest of the time when you haven't because one person's on holiday or one person's on six, actually, let's ditch the experience. Um, that is going to cost you dearly. 
um, your your very loyal patients <clears throat> will always give you the benefit of the doubt on one appointment. So they'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that day, but if they experience that again, then they might question whether they actually want to be at your practice. Because if I love your brand and you do something wrong, I'm still going to give you a ben the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe Apple falls into that. You know, they have made some mistakes, um, but actually I'm still an Apple customer because actually they go out of their way to reinvigorate the experience that they're offering. So I think we might have uh, nearly run out of time. We have run out of time. So thank you very much for all of your questions uh, this week. Uh, if you want to send your questions in, you can do so. Um, you can just visit our Facebook page and just pop in uh, a question. We'll pick that up and we'll pop it into our Hawkett Hangout. Or you can send us a private message uh, through Horton if you don't want to have it on the uh, Facebook um, post so people know what you're saying. So you can do that privately. Or you can just go on to our, uh, our website. Which is on hh at horton-consulting.com. That's a dedicated email address for Horton Hangout questions. Do you want to give it again? hh at horton-consulting.com. That's great. I'm going to give you a radio job, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. And so if you're listening to this after the live podcast, have a great week. Mm -hmm.